and welcome back to Are You From That Show, the podcast brought to you by Jordan and Hattie. This is the final episode of our second season, so thank you so much for listening to this series. We've loved having you. Or if you haven't listened before and this is your first time listening, scroll down and you'll find lots more episodes with our amazing guests. So on to this week. Here we have the very wonderful and the totally charming April Pearson joining us for a chat over Skype. April Pearson is an actress, writer and producer who rose to fame playing the role of Michelle in the legendary cult E4 series Skins, first screened in 2007 and set in her hometown of Bristol. She went on to make her film debut in Tormented, a comedy horror directed by John Wright, and her theatre debut at the Bristol Old Vic in Katherine Johnson's play Suspension. With an impressive acting CV under her belt, April has started producing her own films with husband Jamie Patterson and most recently has started her own IGTV series Are You Michelle from Skins throughout this lockdown where she interviews fellow actors about what it's like to be associated with a particular character or a project. Welcome April. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my God, it's so weird being interviewed about the thing that I normally interview people about. <laughs> Have you got any tips for us? Um, just like, just get to a point where we can all relate, you know, like <laughs> just make me feel comfortable. You know, we've all been there. Like, that's just how I try to try to play it when I do my interviews. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the first question um we normally ask is how did you start acting how did you get into it I suppose it's one of those things isn't it I don't feel like I ever really got into it I just thought like that was always it was never an an if but when and I suppose when you say get into it you mean like when did it become a viable profession and when were you sort of classed as an actor yes yeah I think that would be um skins basically because I was 16 when I did the first audition and um the casting director came to my school but I always felt like an actor before that I thought that you know being the lead in the school play I was like well I am a pro already you know um so I always knew that I had a kind of affinity with performing and I loved um you know playing parts and get characters and dressing up and all of that stuff as a as a young person but I think probably yeah I mean there was no bigger stage to to have than than Skins being my first job really. I had a little look on your IMDb and I did see that you had done a few was it a few episodes of Casualty when you yes. were younger? Yeah. <laughs> my dad um my dad has recently retired from the BBC, but he was um, a location manager for Casualty for about, God, nearly 30 years. And um, when I was very young, often they would they'd be like, oh, God, we need a baby or we need a child. My dad would be like, I've got one of those. <laughs> so, yeah, there are photos of me and, and one of my oldest friends, Michael, sitting in the dining bus having our cornflakes 
next to each other when we were about three. So, oh, that's so sweet. I think I've done. I think I've done casualty three times as an adult. Um, obviously, always a different person with some sort of affliction. But um, yeah, up till then, it was definitely his. It was definitely who you know to, that got me in there. Casualties is. I remember doing casualty when I was like eight. You hear that siren? They're coming to get me now for casualty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, the woes of living in the centre of a city. Carry on. Um, casualty was great. I remember doing casualty when I was eight years old, and um, they were all really, really nice. Such a great like experience doing something like that like quite young you would have probably met my dad oh really yeah of I would have, yeah um so I, did, you, did you remember if he filmed in bristol we i did yes yeah, yeah. so yeah you would have met him because my dad obviously they filmed the majority of it in bristol and then moved to cardiff about seven eight years ago i think so uh and he retired i mean boring you don't need to talk about this in the, <laughs> the podcast but yeah you might have met him so like even being like in school plays and whatnot did you want to be an actor when you were younger? Like, well, is that what no you wanted one tells to do? You, no one tells you how shit it is, do they? Right. So of course you want to be it. Yeah. yeah. I I spent a lot, a long time thinking that I wanted to be an actor and I still do. And then I'm like, but this sucks so much. <laughs> um, but then I still want to do it. So um, yeah, yeah. It's like it, the, the times that it's good are always going to outweigh the times that it's not good. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. So, so in terms of skins then, so did you carry on school or sixth form or did you have to take a lot of time off? I see this is the thing. I find it really difficult to actually remember the like specifics of it, but I did I did do skins and school at the same time. Yeah. So wow. I certainly in the second year of A levels, I was the head girl of my private girls' school. And so they really weren't like hugely keen on me leaving for like three days a week to go and do filming but obviously it was an ensemble cast so we were never in like constantly for the whole block unless it was your episode you were unlikely because it was characters had their own episode um it was unlikely that you were ever going to be required for a full like three week block at a time so yeah I went into school on the days that I wasn't filming so how did other people respond to that at school was it were people impressed or was it kind of tricky to navigate Again, another one of those things that I didn't really, I haven't really, I think I blocked it out of my mind. But when I, when I started Are You Michelle from Skins, I had, I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to interview my, myself for my first episode, I'm going to need to remember some stuff like that, because otherwise that's going to be a really boring interview. <laughs> and so I asked some of my friends and my parents and my sister um, what it was like at that time, because for some reason I just, I don't know, I just forgot about it. Um, and yeah, my friends were really sweet. They were kind of, you know, they were all saying that they were really proud of me and they were really happy um, to see me doing, you know, there was a billboard of me sat on a toilet licking a lollipop outside the school. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, this again, the school weren't hugely pleased with that. And, but um, yeah, I think everyone at the time was just kind of so excited. And I remember we all drove around in my friend Bridget's Ford KA. There was about seven of us in this tiny, tiny car going to spot the billboards yeah. that had gone up because the, the first series had, a, and, and the second series, but the first one particularly had such a huge ad campaign that it was really difficult to to avoid, especially in Bristol. And And yeah, I think everyone was like really, really excited and 
there were a few kind of people that came out of the woodwork a bit. I was like, I haven't spoken to you for a long time. They were like, no, no, we're friends, remember? I mean, it was like the dawn of Facebook, right? So suddenly yeah. everyone was like, yes, I'm friends with all of these people. So many friends. <laughs> um, when actually now we're like, oh, God, I don't know you and you, I'm going to delete you. Yeah. Um, whereas at the time, there were a lot of people kind of dropping into my inbox who I hadn't spoken to for years. Being 17, 18, how was it dealing with people that you you weren't sure of their intentions in terms of trying to be your friend because they like you or because they remember you or because you're now on this really popular um, TV show? So I think um, having not had the experience of the other side of the coin, I kind of, I feel like that just became the norm for me. And I would say that, you know, I actually feel like I'm discovering who I am now in my thirties, as opposed to discovering who I, you know, everyone says like, Oh, it's the age of, you know, finding out about yourself when you're 17, 18, 19 and and that beginning of like university and standing on your own two feet and stuff. But I do feel like that kind of was taken away from me at that point in my life. And I just became this sort of um, the girl that was on telly, you know, for, for a couple of years. And um, I think I quite liked the fact that there were people wanting to be my friend and quite like the fact that there are people who I hadn't seen for ages talking about me as if they knew me to their friends and I think you know it's certainly at the time I thought well this is cool this is great and then years later I was like oh that's probably not living (laughs) (laughs) so did you have an agent at that point or did everyone come rushing to you when skins happened to kind of find you I mean I thought that was gonna 100% be the case Hattie but it was not um, really that's yeah. crazy so I had uh, I had no representation when I was doing skins and then I came out of the show and a few of the cast were kind of snapped up by some of the bigger agents and I literally went to London with my mum and a wadge of envelopes with application letters to to agencies um, and posted them into agencies to try and um, get representation and I didn't get I think I got maybe a couple of meetings, um, but most of them were saying you need to move to London. And I just wasn't in the right headspace. I just didn't. I mean, it certainly was more of a thing then than it is now in terms of being kind of in the thick of it. And I mean, Mm. no one can see anyone anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) you can be anywhere. Yeah, it doesn't matter as much. But certainly at the time, there was definitely still that mentality of like London being, you know, the central the hub of everything. And if you're not here, then you're not in the game. Um, and I just wasn't kind of up for that or ready for it, maybe. Um, and so I, I actually got representation through a, a friend of mine's dad who had um, an, an agent, but a great agent. Um, and I was the youngest client that they'd ever had. So they kind of did take quite a risk taking me on because, um, you know, they didn't I was so close to being a child for them that um there's quite a big gap in their roster but yeah it wasn't it definitely it hasn't been easy from the minute the show finished which is what I thought it would be (laughs) yeah and then also you look at the rest of the cast variously in their own ways and look at successes and things that they've achieved and I just thought well why is that not happening for me as well do you think it's anything about being a woman I'm just I'm just sort of thinking, racking my brain. I mean, I'm a straight white woman. So, you know, there's a, there's always been a saturation in that in that department. And obviously, 
it's it's good and bad but um I definitely didn't look at it like that when I was that age I thought there was something wrong with me and I wasn't getting the work because it was I was bad at acting or I was too fat or my hair was too curly um I never looked at it as a kind of industry standard thing um seeing the multiples of thousands of white girls with brown hair there were that could have taken the parts that um, I was auditioning for. And it also doesn't help when you're that age that you're kind of coming up against, especially when you're in the room, when you're actually going into castings as opposed to doing them on self-tapes, that you can see like familiar faces. Mm. So I was always walking into castings and seeing like Holiday Granger and Claire Foy. And I was just like, well, why are they only casting these, you know, specific kind of five actresses and why can't I get seen for these things? Um, but comparison is the thief of joy. So, so did you go up for you? Might, as it sounds like you did. You were going up for really big jobs. Yeah, yeah. I always talk about it. I, I auditioned for Princess Margaret in The Crown. Wow! Didn't get it, but I should have. <laughs> I'm doing great at that. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's never really that I've. Um, I mean, certainly more in the last kind of uh, maybe eight years. I've really rarely auditioned for kind of big mainstream parts but when I have I've always felt like I've done really well mm. so and it sounds like big-headed but obviously you try your best don't you like no, you go of course. There, and there we've all been there when you come out and you're like oh that was awful and then you get it yeah. or come out and you go oh that was awful and it turns out it really was awful but you know the more time you have without an audition the more time you prepare and get ready and try and like immerse yourself as much as you possibly can and doing a good job and so yeah I definitely and also I had this thing sorry I'm rambling but no it's great in like early in my early career where I would walk into an audition do as as well as I could and then on the way out of the audition I'd throw the script because obviously we had paper back in the day oh yeah um, and I'd throw the script in the bin on the way home because I just wanted as someone told me to always expect the worst and hope for the best when it comes to auditioning mm. so I had this mentality of like oh, well, it's not going to happen immediately before I'd even, like, before I'd even got the train home. And mm. I actually think that mentality kind of trickled into my whole existence of that constantly expecting the worst from being, you know, 18. And it created quite a negative cycle. And it wasn't until someone was like, why don't you just look forward to this audition and really want it and put loads into it and hope that you get it? Mm. I was like, because the likelihood is I won't. And they were like, well, why, I mean... So at least you've been more positive about it and that may transfer into the room. It hasn't, but it's definitely helped my negative headspace, I think. Do you remember the auditions for Skins? What were they like? Were they very group, like ensemble based? So my first, oh God, again, I'm really trying to rack my brain <laughs> to get specifics for you. But um, I remember my first audition being um, in, a, in a church in Bristol once I'd Jane Ripley came to our school and kind of picked me out of a drama s session because um, she came to my school looking for posh girls for to play the Abigail character, who was kind of like Michelle's arch nemesis in series one, um, because they wanted those kind of prim and proper girls' school girls. And um, I think she saw me kind of doing that like open audition with the rest of my schoolmates and thought, OK, well, you might work as a Michelle. And I went to... Um, yeah, to the school, and I met Adam Smith, who was directing the second second episode, I think. Um, and we were both there really early, and I didn't know who he was. 
and we were just sitting on the step outside the church and I was quite precocious and flirty as a 17 year old um and I I kind of presumed because he was very young that he was auditioning for something as well and we just kind of chatted outside and I was I was really Michelle I just was um exactly what they'd written basically but I just happened to be that and I think it was that thing of when they'd found me they were like well this is who we wrote like this is who what who's on the page um and after that I did have to do multiple auditions with different groups of people but there was always it was always me and Mike Bailey who played Sid mm-hmm. and Larissa Hope who played Jal um, I think they'd kind of got the three of us. And I think also the creator based Michelle and Sid on his children mm-hmm. um, loosely. Um, and I think once he'd found the two people that sort of represented their essence, we were kind of the constants in the rest of the groups. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was about eight eight auditions until they found Nicholas. And before I think Tony was the was the real difficult one to find because obviously so much of certainly the first episode was kind of pinned on him and then the, the likability of of him and the fact that you know no 17 year old boy is particularly uh likable or heroic um so i think ha- like having him and having his background being a very kind of gawky awkward boy and about a boy was mm. kind of a stroke of genius because it gave him that kind of soft edge when he was being and acting like a total prick <laughs> and Jordan he went to your school didn't he yeah Nicholas and I went to school together we was he was uh I think he was a few years below me at Sylvia Young wow. um, I think he came in after he did about a boy I think he was there for maybe about a year or two and then he left but um he we yeah we, we went we went to school together for a little bit for a little bit he, he I think he was one of the youngest in our cast actually I think he might have been the youngest yeah, he probably would have been about 16, wouldn't he? 15, 16, mm. 16 mm. maybe? Yeah, I think I think that's right. Oh, cute. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know, I know. So do you still stay in touch with the Skins lot? So I get asked this all the time. And until my I, Michelle from Skins series, the answer was no. Um, I kind of, I, I ended up acting like a, a different person for a long time after Skins. And I would never accept invitations to go out with them and um I kind of put I was in a relationship that I put ahead of everything else and so they just sort of slowly stopped inviting me to stuff which is completely fair enough and then I kind of got embarrassed about ever reaching out to them or kind of getting in touch because you know some of them are like a-list celebrities now like we're talking Mm. Dan Kalua who was nominated for an Oscar like it's bad um and so I never thought that any of them would give me the time of day. And then I kind of slowly started reaching out to a couple of people that I had a real connection with on the show to see if they'd be interested in talking to me about, um, about our kind of uh, shared experience. Yeah. And they were really receptive and lovely. And we've had great chats on and off the, the airwaves. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely kind of slowly just reacquainting myself with them and coming to terms with that whole experience and putting it sort of in its box um and that's been really really positive I think it's like really interesting like the way you see it as like an experience because I I think that what maybe people don't quite realize is that it's because it's so intense I guess in a way and I guess I mean when we did my parents are aliens we were there we knew each other for six years all together from 11 to 17 
And we were the same. When we finished filming, we didn't speak for like five, six years, like at mm-hmm. all. And it didn't end in any bad way. It was really, we had a fantastic time. We grew up together, but we didn't speak for five years. Like it wasn't even a case of people reaching out to each other at all. And then one day we just did. And then we did a reunion and we all hung out and it was like, we'd see each other every year now. I don't know if it's weird. Like it's almost like a relationship where you've got to almost have that time to breathe afterwards. Um, and obviously you do in, you, how long do you skip two years? Yeah. Like it must've felt like a really intense experience because you were that little bit older than probably what we were, that you were more aware of things and the impact it was having. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. I think, yeah. Also, I guess weirdly when I when I finished skins the kind of avenues of uh, connection weren't as yeah um, plentiful as they are now you know often people say oh I, I spoke to him earlier and what they meant is double tapping like on Instagram yeah like that's that's t- genuinely keeping in touch ish mm. nowadays is like a little like heart emoji on someone's story mm. like that is keeping in touch and so I think that because those things didn't exist, it was very much more kind of either you answer a phone call or you reply to a text yeah. and, and sort of that was it really. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's interesting. It was such an intense two years and I'm sure you can attest it's very, it becomes your absolute everything. Your, you wake up, get taken there, go home and yeah. go to bed. And then the next day you do the same. So, um, yeah, maybe a cooling off period. It's just, I mean, like, did you all as a cast also, were you all very much in each other's spots? Because if, if you filmed in Bristol and you lived in Bristol, did everyone else sort of come to Bristol and film or were you the only one who was based there? Or I think we were about 50-50, maybe 60-40 in terms of people that lived in Bristol and people that stayed in the hotel um, when they were filming. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, lots of people... Um, Lots of people just, I think actually we probably ended up staying in the hotel with them quite a lot as well. Yeah. But certainly for the first generation of skins, the majority of the cast were from Bristol. Yeah. And that kind of filtered out um, as as the show got bigger because they did more open castings mm. um, and they cast people from all over the country. Um, and I think there was something about like all of us sort of knowing Bristol and kind of showing off how great Bristol is to the people that were from, you know, out of town. Um, and there'd be many times we'd go to like really dingy dive bars and be like, look how great this is. And would be like, babes, we're from London. Like what? <laughs> no, do you know what? I'm, so I'm from London and I was definitely the target. So I was, I was on my gap here when it came out and I remember it so clearly. And I remember I've, I've always had this, I don't know, maybe everyone has this like romanticized idea of not living where they live. If only I lived there, I would be as cool as those people in Skins, which definitely wouldn't happen. I definitely don't think that where you live has an impact on how cool you are. <laughs> yeah. You're not the first person to have said like, you're from Bristol. That's so cool. It was in Skins. <laughs> I think also the way that some, something's shot, isn't it? I, I know now having shot films in Brighton, I, you can make a really crappy corner with some graffiti look like arty and cool mm. but actually when you go and see it in the, bro- the light of day without f- five cameras pointing at it with lighting and a great looking actor standing in front of it it's just a dingy old corner how does it feel now um having now that you're making your own stuff how does it feel looking back at something like skins do you have, do you take a lot that you learnt in front of the camera to taking it behind the camera 
Oh my God. Um, I would say almost nothing because (laughs) Skins was such an enormous like enterprise and the films that I've made have, we're so lucky if we get two cameras on, on on one of our shoots. Um, So in terms of like the production side of things that we're talking about completely different scales, Mm -hmm. but I would say that um, having that like deep end experience Mm -hmm. at the beginning of my career has impacted on everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In terms of um, etiquette and how to be and how to do back to back 12 hour days and all of that kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, the best school you can ever have is, as you both know, mm. doing something that you've not done, but being expected to do it really well immediately yeah. at a very young age with, you know, upwards of 30 people standing around looking at you doing it um, is hard. And obviously for you guys, you were a lot younger than me. So you could technically be classed as the children and animals factor, yeah. which they say that you should <laughs> never. Definitely ever. I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should never work with um so so yeah I think learning to swim in that in that environment was a you know the the best training ground I could have ever had Mm. um and of course I do try as far as I can to to kind of put those things that I learned into practice but it's it all comes down to the money really and and being able to kind of provide those things for the cast and the crew to as as to a higher standard as you possibly can afford and I'm I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. Everyone will have a Winnie Bago and a honey wagon and a dining <laughs> bus eventually. So you've I, got films out next year, haven't you? Yeah, I, I th- we were supposed to have a film out this year. Um, it was called Justine, and it's a, an amazing um, lesbian love drama written by Jeff Murphy, who wrote Hinterland. He's a, a Welsh um, writer, and uh, it's it's quite a sort of quite a difficult story but we we got into BFI Flare Festival this year and um, then a week later we went into lockdown and it's the kind of indie film that could have really done with a festival circuit and um, we've done really well with an LGBTQIA plus festival um, with a film called Tucked that we made in 2017 and that came out last year and we could just tell that that film doing some of these LGBTQ festivals um, really kind of helped in terms of sales and distribution. Anyway, we were all in lockdown and coronavirus happened and then um, we've had to find different ways of of putting it out there. So we're going to be releasing that one in um, February, obviously, because it's a love story. And um, we've got probably the next one that's likely to come out is called The Kindred. And um, that was a co-production that we did with... um, uh, a production company called Park House Pictures who actually is a kind of an arm of my theatrical agent so um, we all worked together on on that and um, literally before I came on this call I was signing off on VFX shots that are ungraded and <laughs> trying to work out opening and closing titles I mean I don't know how you guys feel about fonts but I hate fonts <laughs> so yeah. much they say so much yeah. it's so crazy like if if my opening titles were in Comic Sans, you wouldn't be watching past the opening titles. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's so crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's it, there's a lot to be done all the time, um, but it just helps me feel like I'm still sort of in it, you know, mm. like clinging on in there. Um, mm. And it also helps me tell stories, which ultimately is kind of why I guess I became an actor in the first place. How Leading on to, from that, how does it make you feel... Because I, I completely, I think Hattie and I both, we've both spent 
years, you know, now creating our own stuff and trying to get involved more behind the camera, creating your own work, etc. How does it make you feel when you are you're creating your own stuff and you feel like, you know, you're you're clinging on in there and people still remember you for something that you did, you know, 12, 13 years ago? How does that kind of like work? It's annoying, isn't it? It's I, I can't I can't help but find it irritating and irksome and kind of like gross. I just mm. that's my immediate reaction. And and then I kind of work it through in my mind and I get to the point where I'm like, it's okay, it's not their fault. They've just found it. They, you know, they're a new viewer or they're somebody who, as Hattie you were saying, like you remember it so so vividly because you associate it with your gap year. Like it, it is that kind of thing that people have associations with that show because they were going through a very significant time in their life or they were coming mm -hmm. to terms with their sexuality and it's it's that kind of formative experience that that people kind of cling or combine with me as a person and um I think much I'm much better at dealing with it now that I'm older and I think my the my kind of methods of coping before were just sort of run away or straighten my hair put a hat mm -hmm. on try and like not you know not interact with people and actually that's probably you know all feeds into that kind of weird ne negative headspace that I had for a while I think it's you know until I can create something that that I can put on the same kind of stage as Skins was people have got to find it they've got to they've got to find the stories that I'm telling now mm -hmm. and you know if they find them and they love them then great but I can't compete with a a piece of pop culture yeah <laughs> really I think it's kind of like I mean something that a lot of our guests have said down the line down the line along the way is that it's kind of like that trying to shake that fraudulent feel that you did something so huge so early in your career that you're constantly trying to either do something or be known for something that is better than that but often is the case I think with a lot of people is that no matter what you we will do in our careers that for a lot of people was so iconic that it's going to be really hard no matter even if you end up winning oscars it's it's those things that you did with that people grew up with that is going to always touch them more yeah um, so it's 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 almost like it's a battle that don't try and do it <laughs> don't try and battle it just accept it and go right well whatever i create from now on is going to be iconic in its own sense but it will never match up to that it will be a different kind of iconic yeah and I think actually something that came out of one of my conversations on Instagram was with an actress called Louisa Lytton, who's in EastEnders. What else she said with? to me, huh? Louisa was the year below me at school. No way. God, <laughs> Sylvia Young can churn him out, can't she? Yeah, we were the factory. <laughs> wow. Um, well, it was interesting that she said, you know, April Skins is your first job. You can only have your first time once. Mm. And yeah. that was a real light bulb moment for me. I was like, God, you're so right. So much of my kind of constant like self-doubt is because of thinking like oh well that didn't quite do as well as skin so it's probably mm. not very good it's, it's less of a success and actually it that might be true but my emotional attachment to it is because it was something that I did for the first time mm -hmm. and it was a success mm -hmm. you know imagine if we'd done skins and everyone hated it I'd be <laughs> like that would be so different wouldn't it yeah and maybe easier, actually, because then they'd be like, oh, do you remember that shit show, Skins? This, this girl, April, has done a thing and it's really good. <laughs> well, a uh, quick question. What's been like the most awkward time <laughs> of being recognised? 
we've had some we've had some answers before that have been really awkward but for you when or like when was the time when you were like it was the worst time or the time that you were like had to deny that you were who you were you oh know God. I wish I had some really fun story I'm trying to think like I'm trying to think if I've got anything that's like proper gag worthy do you still get recognized now just do people yeah come yeah I actually I after talking to Dakota Blue Richards who was in series three three for the third generation of skins yeah we met up for a coffee because she, she, you know, she, she gave me an amazingly um, candid interview, and I just wanted to like check in with her. And she also lives locally, so we met up for a coffee. And um, I noticed out of the corner of my eye because we were sitting in the window, a group of um, like skins worthy people. You know, you can just tell mm. when someone's like young and cool, and I'm like, mm, maybe they, yeah. they yeah. might know. And uh, they walked past the window once, and they came back, and they went, and they went back again, and they were just sort of waiting by a lamppost. I was like, Dakota, I think they might have recognised us. <laughs> and she was like, "Oh God, really? I never, I never really get recognised for skins because I looked like a French boy in skins, and I look like a, I mean, she looks like a raven-head goddess now." Um, and they eventually, like, they made eye contact with me, and they came into the cafe. Obviously, this is like this year, so they weren't really allowed to be within <laughs> two meters of each other. But they came in, and they were like, "Can we have a photo? Can we have a photo?" And uh, I was like, "Yeah, sure, okay." And they asked Dakota to take the photo. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, do you know who that is? They were like, no. Like, it's Frankie from Generation 3 of Skins. And she was like, well, this is awful. I mean, that's not really my story. That's hers. But I just think it was quite funny because we were both sat there. And I thought, you know, surely we'd be coming as the package there. But I think the weirdest one was probably when I was in Nottingham. I was, I was there for a friend's 21st birthday. So it was around, like, Skins fever time. And I just, I, was I... No, that's a complete lie. That's a different time. So <laughs> the the weirdest time was when I was in Nottingham. I wasn't in Nottingham. Why do I keep saying that? I was in Birmingham. That's right. I was filming Tormented. <laughs> that's why it was weird. I was filming Tormented and we were on a day off. And myself and Tom Hopper and Larissa, I think, were just bombing around in Birmingham. And it was pouring with rain and I didn't have any kind of coat on. I just had a hoodie that I'd done up so that like the string the drawstring was literally around my eyebrows and my mouth so my whole hood was up just to try and like I think my hair was straight and tormented so if it if it came into contact with a droplet of rain it would be nightmare yeah. for hair and makeup the next day um and someone came running up to me and they're like oh my god oh my god you're Michelle from Skins and I was like how <laughs> have you seen that like how from that tiny like <laughs> side plate full of my face <laughs> have you been able to tell it was me uh and yeah they it's one of those things and i'm sure you guys have, have experienced it when someone recognizes you and they're like that once they've got confirmation it's you it's what they say next yeah mm. which is t which tends to be oh cool yeah yes i know what you mean and yeah then nothing and then it's yeah. up to you to be like what's your name yeah. <laughs> It's like you started this interaction yeah. and now I'm continuing it for you. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think Sharon Rooney gave me some good advice, which was to create distance, but in a really polite way. You yeah. just say, I'm actually, my name's actually April. What's your name? Yeah. So that immediately that person's not associating you as like, you're not Michelle from Skins standing in front of them. You're, my name's April. What's your yeah. name? See, yeah. this is the kind of gems that I'm getting from doing this kind of interview process. It's been amazing. Oh, April, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I can't wait to have you on mine. 
Well, I, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to, to be the one actually being interviewed, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you should be. I'm, I'm pretty cutthroat. I'm like Paxman. <laughs> I, I, I have one last question, actually. Go on. If you were interviewing yourself on your podcast, like, what question would you ask yourself? Um, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I think that's quite a, that's quite a good like leading question because uh, I could then go I like on it. for hours about my various failures and triumphs. <laughs> Where have you been? Like you've been hiding. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, April. Thank yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad that we managed to get technology to work eventually. Yes. Thank you so much to April for coming on the podcast. And thank you to George for providing the music. You can find him at soundcloud.com forward slash George. That's J-A-U-G-E. Tune in next time. See you later.